Welcome to today's Community Cast. My name is Matt Morgan. I'm the pastor at Community Brookside, a new church plant in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We are so blessed by your presence, and we hope that today's content will bring you joy. So I'm going to ask you a question, and I'm pretty sure that many of you might not have a solid answer for this. Many of you probably will be like, what are you even talking about? So here we go. Have you ever been to Holland? Right? So I see even in this very small room with very few people shaking heads. No. I know it's a pretty specific question, but have you ever been to Europe in general? The reason I ask about that is because as I was preparing for today's sermon, I got to be thinking about uh, some experiences that I had in Holland the first time I went. So in the city of Amsterdam in Holland, or the Netherlands is kind of how people in Holland call it, um, there's what's called the Oudekerk. So the Oudekerk uh, is, the English translation of that phrase is the old church. It's a beautiful old cathedral that's in the center of Amsterdam. And it has all the beauty that you would expect from a medieval style cathedral. So this cathedral was actually begun, it's being built in the year 1213. So it's way older than even the whole of the United States. It initially was built as a wooden chapel structure and eventually was replaced by a stone structure in the year 1306. It has seen so many renovations and upgrades and now it's one of the most beautiful buildings in all of Holland. Also, since the year 2012, it has been uh, the youngest art institute in the country. So now it's also the oldest religious structure and the newest art institute. But the problem is that church is no longer used at all as a church. So since my wife Nicole has family in Holland, I have gone to Amsterdam a few times. And I've been blown away kind of by the beauty of that specific building. Now, um, somewhere on a file in my computer, I have pictures of all kinds of cathedrals from Europe. When we've been to Switzerland and Holland and Germany, when we've been around in Europe, we get to see these beautiful religious structures that are still standing, that are hundreds and hundreds of years old. But the Outerkirk is really interesting to me because there's an interesting an interesting story that has popped up around the building itself. So one of the first trips I took to Holland, we went into Amsterdam and we got to kind of see the church and kind of see what was around it. And one of the things that blew me away was just how much the city had changed right around the outside of that building. So if you've ever been to Holland and you know what I'm talking about, if you've ever seen the Outerkirk, you would know that the church sits in the middle of this kind of a, a round circular street. It's a very small street that surrounds the church where there's a, a canal kind of in front of it. And all around the other side of the street from that church are buildings that used to be housing. It used to be, uh, you know, as people thought that the church was important, they would build houses as close to the church as they could. And as time shifted and the church became less and less relevant to the people right around the outside of its doors, businesses started to take over those buildings and they would sometimes knock down the buildings, the old structures, and rebuild something new there. Uh, and what's really interesting to me is that when we went on the first time, I was absolutely blown away that most of the buildings surrounding the church are buildings that are dedicated to what's known as the red light district in Holland. 
So I'm sure a lot of you know what the red light district is and kind of what it stands for. Um, but for those of you who don't, the red light district is a place um, where women are on display in windows advertising themselves. It's a place where prostitution is legalized and taxed. The red light district in, Amster in Amsterdam is famous for its risque patrons and its scantily clad ladies of the evening. It's really amazing that you can go to the church and right around the outside of that building, it's a district dedicated to wrong and evil and destruction of marriages. The very holy church was surrounded by the sex trade. So here in America, there are usually rules and regulations about how close things like smoke shops and liquor stores and bars can be located near the places of worship. So for a young man who was barely out, had barely been out of Oklahoma his whole life, for me to go to Holland and see that right around the outside of the church absolutely blew me away. And as I was preparing for today's sermon, I was reminded of my encounters there in Holland where the holy could be so close to something that is so sacrilegious. It's almost literally you could reach out with your left hand and touch the sacred stones of the Oudekerk. With your right hand, you could stretch it out and touch the windows where women would be on display. And I got to thinking to myself, what in the world, how in the world have we let the church become surrounded by something that is so strange and so worldly? I got to questioning myself, what, what, what does God think that the, these women are selling themselves right around the outside of the church? And then I started thinking even more about prostitution and how the scripture actually talks about and names some women who were prostitutes. There are a few stories of prostitution in scripture where God has used a very strange encounter to do God's work. Some of these prostitutes are named Gomer, Tamar, but specifically the woman I want to talk to us about today is a woman named Rahab. Now, some of you may know that the book of James is absolutely one of my favorite books in all of scripture. In this book, there's this kind of beautiful section about putting your faith into practice. It's in James chapter 2. And how if we don't put our faith into practice, if we don't do what we say we believe, that our faith is useless. And in this story, James talks about the different leaders and the different um, patriarchs of the faith who were lauded for doing what they say they believed. Their faith was displayed in their actions. And in this section, we're reminded that um, in the Old Testament, there's a character named Rahab that we're going to talk a lot more in depth about today. So I want to read to you the book of James and kind of see how my mind was connected between prostitution and how God can sometimes use even strange and evil and worldly things to do great and good and wonderful things. So let's read together in the book of James, chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. It'll be on the screen so you can follow right along. Here's what scripture says for us. It says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? 
Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So I'm sure that if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, I bet that you know the name Abraham. I am pretty sure that you know the name Isaac. But Rahab, have you ever heard that name before today? I mean, if, if we look at it, the Bible doesn't necessarily talk a whole lot about women, and it certainly doesn't cast women often in a, in a good light. And especially when you compare the stories of women versus the stories of men, men are clearly uh, the focus of a lot of our scriptures. But here in this moment, we see James hearkening back to a story in the Old Testament to a prostitute that he even describes as a prostitute named Rahab. And she's not only mentioned by name here, but her story is shared. James specifically mentions her as being a prostitute, and often we dismiss people who we know to be sinners, right? In this case, James remind us, reminds us that sometimes God chooses even the sinners even the weak, even the broken, to do some pretty extraordinary things. There's not a whole lot about Rahab in the Bible, but we are first introduced to, to Rahab in the story in the Old Testament book of Joshua. So today I want to look at the story of Rahab to see how God uses her to help lead the Israelite people into the promised land, to fulfill a promise that God made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. To set the stage a little bit, the Israelites were taken as slaves into Egypt, and they lived in Egypt as slaves for about 400 plus years. And then Moses was chosen by God. And we all know a lot about that story, Moses. Many of us have seen the Ten Commandments uh, around Easter time. But Moses was chosen by God to be the deliverer of his people out of Egypt. And he took them out of Egypt into the wilderness for 40 years. Towards the end of Moses' life, Joshua was chosen to lead the Israelites after Moses died. Eventually, Moses died as the people were moving into the area known as the Promised Land, and Joshua took over as the leader. The Promised Land that God had guaranteed his people at this time was inhabited by tribes of other peoples who were not Israelites, and Joshua was called to cleanse the land of all who were not Hebrew. We meet Rahab in a part of the Hebrew history when the Israelites are trying to conquer the city of Jericho. 
And we can pick up in this story in the book of Joshua, chapter 2, verses 1 through 24. So let's read this together. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go, look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab, and they stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men have come to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they go or which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up on the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone, the gate was shut. Before the spies laid down for the night, she went up to the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return and then go on your way. Now the men had said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless we enter the land. You have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house. If any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. As for those who are in this house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from our oath that you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. When they left, they went into the hills and stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, forded the river, and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, The Lord has surely given us the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. It's interesting to see that the spies come into Jericho and immediately go to the house of Rahab, the prostitute. So as I was doing some research for the sermon, I realized that it wasn't because they needed to encounter a prostitute. It's because a lot of times the houses of prostitutes were kind of like an inn. Oftentimes, some people came to stay at a prostitute's house, not necessarily for services, but also to be given lodging. 
to be taken care of. And if you want to know the news and the gossip of a town, you go to the brothel. Because a lot of times the ladies who work in the brothel overhear conversations. and Sometimes they can relay the news to you. So these gentlemen, these spies, went to Rahab's house to find out some information about the city of Jericho. In ancient times, ladies like Rahab would have had a lot of information because the, the visitors who come into a city oftentimes stop in at the inn or the brothels. So it's interesting to look at here in this story that Rahab is not a Hebrew, but she recognized the power of God and ends up becoming a traitor to her own people because she recognized that God was at work in the lives of the Hebrews and had already promised the land to them. And she knew that there was nothing she could do to stop it. So instead of trying to interfere, instead of trying to get involved, she just says, I will help you, but remember me, remember my family. Rahab knew about how God had delivered the Hebrew people out of Egypt. He knew that God had dried up the river uh, or sorry, dried up the, the waters of the Red Sea. And she told the spies that all the people in the land were afraid of the Israelites because they knew that God loved the Hebrews. So Rahab and the spies came to an agreement that when the Israelites conquered the city, that anyone that Rahab had brought into her house, and as long as the cord was tied to the window, anyone that she brought into the house with her would be spared. Rahab was a traitor to her own people in this time and gave, you know, gave the spies the ability to hide from the people who we know would have destroyed them. And by her actions, she allowed the Israelite people to be able to conquer the whole city. She was the one who basically delivered all of Jericho to the Israelites. The story of Rahab and the story of the, the conquering of Jericho continue on in the book of Joshua chapter 6. Let's read this together starting in verse 20. When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in and they took the city. They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword every living thing in it, men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father and mother, her brothers and sisters, and all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. Then they burned the whole city and everything in it, but they put the silver and gold and articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho and she lives among the Israelites to this day. So in this story, we see that Rahab, she helped the enemy of her people and even among her own people, she didn't have honor. But when the enemy came in and destroyed the city because of what she did, because she hid the spies, because she sided with the people of God, her enemies honored her. 
She didn't have any honor of her own. I mean, think about it. So she was a prostitute. She was a foreigner amongst the Israelites there. She was a woman and she was the enemy. But she was honored because she trusted God. And the story ends, it's pretty interesting. The story ends with her still living among the people to this day. If you think about it, the scripture we read at the beginning in the book of James was written 700, 800, almost 1,000 years before or 1,000 years after the story of Rahab took place. And even the religious people in the Hebrew family, the Jews who trusted in God, they knew Rahab's story because her story was so important to their history. Her faith in, the, in God allowed her name to be on the lips of the Hebrew people for hundreds and hundreds of years, even after she had died. God used a woman of no means, a woman of ill repute, and a woman who was really a nobody to safely bring his people into the promised land. William L. Lyons observed that biblical interpretations have viewed Rahab as a model of hospitality, mercy, faith, patience, and repentance in her interaction with Joshua's spies. Thus, the harlot of Jericho became a paragon of virtue. Oftentimes, I think that we as people of God discount sinners. I think oftentimes we as people of God forget that our mission is not to go to the righteous. It's not to go to the saved. Our mission is to find the Rahabs and to show them who God is. Our mission is to show the broken and the downtrodden that God has a plan for them. If God can use a woman whose reputation was one of abhorrence, disgust because of her lifestyle, then God could absolutely use any of us to accomplish God's goals. So hear me when I say this today. Don't ever discount yourself, no matter what you've done in your past. Don't ever think that because of something you've done in your former life discounts you or disqualifies you from doing what God has called us as Christians to do. Don't ever think that you can't conquer the world for Jesus because of your history and your past. It's clear to me that God uses regular old nobodies like me and like you to change the world. If God can use a prostitute like Rahab to hide spies, to become counterintelligence, if God can use a woman like Rahab, then God can absolutely use you. For some of you this week, this might be your first time ever tuning in to one of our services. Maybe you've been out of church for a very, very long time. Maybe you've never stepped foot in a church ever. I want to tell you that you're welcome here. I want to tell you that the church that we're building, Community Brookside, is a church where sinners can become saints. Where all people who have fallen, all people who have made mistakes, all people who have wound up sinners can have a chance to start again. 
because we recognize stories like this where God uses nobodies to do extraordinary things. So my prayer for you today and for all of us as believers in Jesus is that we don't let our past weigh us down so much that we forget who we serve. So today, whatever you've experienced in the church before, maybe you've been hurt by a church, maybe the church has turned its back on you because you've at one point turned your back on the church. Hear me when I say this today. God wants to use you. Maybe you don't feel like you can preach a sermon. Maybe you don't feel like you can be a missionary to India or to Africa. Maybe you don't feel like you can perform miracles or have the faith to move mountains. I will tell you, those are not requirements to serve Jesus. What is required is that you have a willing heart and you have a teachable spirit and that you're able and willing to submit to God's authority. So this morning, wherever you are, whatever you've done, whatever you've been through, God can and will use you. My prayer is that he does. My prayer is that you're willing to do whatever it takes to be the person that God is calling you to be. Thank you so much for joining us on today's Community Cast. We hope that you were blessed by today's conversation. If you'd like to know more about Community Brookside, please feel free to visit us at our website, communitybrookside.com, or find us on your favorite social media outlet. We hope to hear from you soon. Be blessed.